you are listening to a podcast from The National. Location, 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 goes the old cliche about which factor drives demand for property most. In Dubai these days, however, it may be more about cost, cost, cost. We look at where rents have risen and fallen in the first quarter of this year. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast, Coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi, I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Now, a little bit later on, we'll speak to Jennifer Niana, the Nationals Energy Correspondent, about the upcoming OPEC meeting in Saudi Arabia, amid a week in which part of the kingdom's oil inst- installations came under attack. But first, here's the other business news you need to know from the national.ae. Deloitte Dubai may have understated private equity group Abraj's misuse of $300 million of funds. WhatsApp has asked users to update its software following a report that a vulnerability allowed attackers to hack into people's phones using commercial Israeli spyware. The Aldar Imar joint venture is imminent amid a first quarter revenue surge for the Abu Dhabi developer. Dubai construction firm Arabtech Holdings Board has accepted the resignation of the chief executive as it reported a 50% slide in its Q1 profit. Emirates Group said it will not be awarding its employees an annual bonus for the fiscal year after reporting a decline in earnings. Shares of India's Jet Airways slumped after its chief executive and chief financial officer have stepped down. The US-China trade war could put plane maker Boeing in the crosshairs. And Chinese smartphone manufacturer OnePlus rolled out its latest 7 series, including a 5G-enabled smartphone. With me now is Chris Nelson, Assistant Business Editor. Hi, Chris. Hello, Mustafa. So, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're taking a look at how rents have fared in the different areas of Dubai this year. What's the market been telling us? Well, according to brokers, rental rates continued the downward trend uh, that was experienced during 2018. Um, Azteco noted a marked squeeze in demand at the upper end of the rental range, uh, with an increasing number of price-conscious tenants opting for lower price points irrespective of location, size, or quality. However, year-on-year rents are down in most categories, not just luxury. Um, For example, in downtown Dubai, where two-bed flats range from between about 80 uh, to 145,000 dirhams, rents are down 10%, uh, and even in more affordable areas, such as Discovery Gardens, uh, where a two-bed flat ranges from 75 to 90,000 dirhams, uh, rents are down 11%. But villa rents are down too, uh, Arabian ranches, for example, down 8% year on year. And there, a three-bed villa ranges around 110 to 170,000 dirhams, uh, again, according to Azteca. I mean, all in all, it, it indicates that there is a lot of supply out there in the Dubai market at the moment. Yeah, supply more than doubled in the first quarter uh, to more than 6,700 units, uh, most of which were apartments, uh, according to Azteco. And it forecasts that the overall completion rate is to reach more than 25,000 units uh, for this year, which compares to a figure of 14,000 for last year. Um, So it's perhaps unsurprising that the property consultants, uh, JLL, said it expects rents to continue to face downward pressure this year with uh, supply exceeding demand. Uh, Interestingly, though, there's been some mention of a three-year rent freeze. Yeah, um, Dubai Land Department confirmed at the beginning of May Um, It's studying a proposal to freeze rents for three years after landlords and tenants sign their rental contracts. Um, I wonder if this is more about putting a floor under the rent so they can't fall further 
rather than actual limiting increases. Yeah, well, in 2016, Abu Dhabi reintroduced a 5% rent cap uh, in what was then a soft market. Yeah, I remember that. And and actually, I mean, it's, it's interesting because the perception is that Dubai's um, current system of a, a rental calculator or index is working well. So to put this move in, um, you know, it isn't, isn't necessarily to help the tenants as much as people think that rent freezes are good for tenants. Um, there have been a number of regulatory changes across the board. Um, everyone realizes that the property sector needs galvanizing, not just in terms of residential rents, but but otherwise as well. Um, government fees for registering new properties sales tra- and sales transactions have been reduced. Last month, um, Abu Dhabi amended its real estate laws to permit free freehold ownership um, by foreign investors for the first time in certain free zones across the Emirate. And I think that's that's activated now. Yeah, and and also there are broader trends at work. I think beyond the residential sector. I mean, for example, Savile says that uh, you know the growing culture for entrepreneurship in this country, particularly towards technology and uh, knowledge-based startups, is feeling demand for office space in Dubai. You know, that could, could well be part of the Kareem Uber Souk effect, um, which might, you know, going forward offset the uh, what is a soft commercial market. Yeah, it's true. And there's, there's, we have reported a lot about the different um, soft and hard incentives there are to attract tech startups here, both homegrown and international, um, various number of funds across the UAE, uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, elsewhere. Um, uh, but having having said all of that in terms of, of, of correcting a, a soft market or helping to improve a soft market, um, we did also have the interesting story this week of a luxury off-plan apartment on the Palm Jumeirah um, being the most expensive property sold far, sold so far this year. Uh, 74 million dirhams was the sale price, according to uh, you know Property Finder, which is the real estate portal. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're switching from rents uh, to off-plan sales there. Property Finder says that uh, the ultra-prime market has actually held up well. And it also says that because of the softer conditions generally, um, you know, it's motivating developers to offer many sort of different types of, of incentives. Which might mean that the headline figure is is an impressive 74 million dirhams, but, but you know, the details behind it could be, as, as you mentioned, incentives uh, that might actually make it a smaller actual sale, final sale value, or even better payment terms than usual. Maybe you don't have to pay it all up front. I mean, uh, speculating to a point, but essentially this... Um, supports the the, the broader bearish trend uh, that's everywhere. And we've been talking about this for a long time. I mean, when's the market going to turn? Well, we had another in a long line of predictions uh, that we are actually approaching the bottom, Um, one from Craig Plum, who is the head of research at uh, JLL MENA. And he was talking in the context that people in the UAE still show a lot of interest in property. Uh, in fact, they spend more time researching, looking through property listings, uh, viewing homes and so forth than than uh, people in nine other countries, according to a new survey from HSBC. Um, people here spend an average of just over six and a half hours a week window shopping, if you like, for homes, even when they're not in the market for a new house. Uh, next highest was the US at just under five hours, and the lowest was France at about one and three quarter hours. And Mr. Plum said now is a good time to be considering buying a home here. Um, you know, average prices have fallen by around 10% in Dubai over the past year, but the rate of decline has slowed in recent quarters as the market may well be approaching the bottom of its cycle. So we shall see. Uh, the China-US trade war has been very much in focus as well this week after President Donald Trump uh, rolled out 25% tariffs on around $250 billion worth of uh, Chinese imports. Um, there's some expectation now that the 
The negotiations are not quite as far advanced as everyone thought, which means that these tariffs, and it's tit-for-tat tariffs, of course, could roll into 2020. Um, stock markets were uh, a little bit roiled um, by by this sort of change in in anticipation, I guess, of of some kind of quick solution. Um, the, the, the people are saying that Donald Trump feels the U.S. economy is robust enough. Um, to take on the Chinese, and the Chinese actually might blink first. Um, the, the latest data out showing uh, China's economy uh, lost a little bit of steam in April um, maybe highlights the fragility there. Um, the uh, industrial output, retail sales, investment were all uh, f- slowing more than economists actually forecast, uh, Chris. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily bode well for the the, the, the outlook for China or even for resolving this trade dispute anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, the, the US-China uh, spat, as it were, um, you know, comes at a time when China is losing this, uh, the, the, the power that it used to have, it appears to be. I mean, it might be short term, we don't know. But, you know, with the initial idea that it was going to take a month to sort this, uh, this trade war out, negotiations, everything, um, that's obviously gone, probably going to go by the wayside. And it does put Mr. Trump, you would think, in a much stronger position now to be able to actually say, you know, well, we'll just keep things as they are. Well, you know, you're obviously suffering more than we are. Um, so it was interesting that uh, we had a couple of reports from various analysts saying that they were expecting uh, the whole situation to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. And that might well be backed up by the fact that, you know, now the Chinese economy seems to be suffering. So. Um, it's not completely doom and gloom, is it? Though, no, by no means. No, no. I mean, uh, two two areas in particular were the bright spots. Pr- uh, property uh, investment was up by almost twelve percent, I think, um, and unemployment also um, fell by quite a significant amount as well. So it's not all doom and gloom by any means, and it may well be short lived. I mean, one of the themes in 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 the sort of the this this tension between uh, Beijing and Washington um, over trade is, is about technology um, who has technological hegemony, Mm -hmm. if you like. Um, And interestingly in, in the U S the tech sector has been having a bit of a hard time of late. We had um, Uber's IPO not performing as much as everyone expected. There's a lot of criticism about Facebook and and other, other big tech companies about privacy, about data, about what they're doing, extremism online. Um, And and really the, the Chinese experience um, of the of the digital economy um, is very very different. Um, it, it's 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 got its own thing going on. And and Tencent, one of one of China's biggest um, companies, reported um, an, uh, quarterly results that beast, beat expectations by a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, net incomes up seventeen um, percent um, in the three months ended March, um, up to two twenty seven point two one billion yuan, which is almost fifteen billion dirhams. Um, revenue was up 16%. Um, it had a tough year last year, but it's bounced back from that. And, um, you know, it's it's essentially the equivalent of Facebook in China. And it, it has is a lot for, of gaming. For gamers, yes, yeah. for gamers, right? It is, yeah. I mean, it is absolutely enormous. Um, and, you know, the fact that the company can, can turn around what was a tough year last year so fast with such stellar results shows just how popular it is in China. Um, they brought out a new game, uh, I think it was earlier this week, or, or maybe last week. I think it was called Beyond Beyond the Game or something, or Beyond Up the Game. Anyway, uh, within 72 hours, subscriptions had hit, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars worth, in 72 hours of it being released. So 
There's a massive market there, an absolutely enormous market. Well, you mean Game for Peace? That's it, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's sort of their... Um, they want something not like Fortnite or... Um, what is it, what's that? P-U-G, P-U-B-G. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, right, which yeah. I think they worry is a little bit too violent or western or yeah, something yeah, right yeah. It, not good not good it wasn't good no it was uh, it um effectively was was underpinning what was a tough tough time for a bit but you know the way it's bounced back just shows that it i mean it's it's just enormous and and it shows how many chinese particularly young chinese obviously um are, are absolutely in love with the game playing you know as much if not more so than in the west i think the reported drone attack on two Saudi oil pumping stations on Tuesday followed sabotage of four ships off Fajera on Sunday. Uh, two of those ships were Saudi um, tankers on their way to, to pick up crude um, from there. Um, the Now, while overall these incidents are not serious in themselves in terms of disrupting um, the oil oil production in this region, um, and the reported damage uh, was minor. A pipeline, a pipeline was shut down as a precaution. Um, oil prices increased about 1% in response. Um, however, the Saudis were very, very quick to say that this act, what they call terrorism, actually isn't going to affect um, anything day to day. And they have plenty of, of storage anyway to keep them going, um, even, it, even with the temporary shutdowns. But things should be going as normal. As I mentioned earlier, our energy correspondent Jennifer Niana is going to Jeddah for OPEC's big gathering. Jennifer, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Uh, so what should we expect from the uh, meeting this weekend? The meeting this weekend um, is very closely watched and very tense because of events that have been happening in the region. There have been uh, two separate incidents, one in the UAE and in Saudi Arabia that have affected uh, the energy infrastructure and also tanker fleet off the coast of Fujairah. Uh, so this sets a very tense tone uh, for the meetings, uh, but but also it calls into question, um, you know, Saudi Arabia's spare capacity and uh, also the the ability to to continue supplying uh, the markets. Uh, the recent attacks in in uh, Saudi Arabia, where a pipeline carrying five million barrels of crude per day had been temporarily shut because of minor. Um, incidents, uh, minor attacks carried by drones, uh, for instance, have uh, been called as, as an act of terrorism against global oil supply. Uh, we spoke to OPEC Secretary General Mohammed Barkindo last night, and while he didn't divulge much of what's going to happen in Jeddah, he did say that the region needed peace, that it had seen a lot of turmoil, but he also said it was too early to talk about supply boost or cuts. But at the same time, OPEC, in its latest report, has indicated that um, supply will be, you know, the, the demand forecasts would be up by 1.17 million barrels per day. This is an early indication that there could be a supply boost from OPEC, especially when we're seeing a million barrels of Iranian crude being taken off the markets because the U.S. Uh, canceled waivers for its key oil buyers towards the end of April. Um, Jennifer, uh, we were talking about the, the tanker incident off the coast of Fujairah uh, and the Houthi attacks on the Saudi oil installations. Uh, they did move the needle on the oil price, but perhaps not as much as one might have expected at the time. Um, the takeaway seems to be uh, that from rising tensions in the region, 
are, the takeaway seems to be that these are more warnings rather than major disruptions uh, to the world's biggest producer. The two incidents um, of the coast of Fujairah and also um, in Saudi Arabia, they haven't disrupted oil supply. They've they've not had a major impact on the oil markets. Oil moved up by a, a dollar uh, when the Fujairah incident happened. And this was after three weeks where prices were low. Um, it's, and one of the reasons why the prices remained low was, was the stalemate um, during the U.S.-China trade talks. Um, but again, there have been uh, bigger incidents, uh, more major attacks, um, you know, targeting regional energy infrastructure. The more recent ones, there was one against a petrochemicals facility in Saudi in, Saudi in, in 2017. Then there was a Shimon attack earlier on. These aren't big attacks, but they come at a time when, t- when tensions in the Middle East are very high. Uh, the Strait of Hormuz, which has always been, um, you know, uh, under threat of a blockade, is being even more closely watched. So it, th- these sound more like warnings, but at, at the same time, they've deeply unsettled the markets. So it'll be very interesting to see what's happening in Jeddah, regardless of whether they boost supply or whether, whether OPEC plans to cut back. Um, it's really unsure how the markets will move and how prices will move. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Good luck in Jeddah. Um, Thank you. You can read uh, her reports from the OPEC meeting as well as our broader business conference uh, coverage at thenational.ae. Chris, thanks so much also. Pleasure, Mustafa. Uh, if you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any platform you do listen on. Leave a kind review by all means. So all that remains is to thank our producer, Kevin Jeffers, and to thank you all for listening. Join us again next week.